Thanks for listening to the audio of 717 Church. This is a place where we continually strive to worship Jesus as the King with our lives, wreck our personal kingdoms to build His kingdom, and live out God's Word in the way that we interact with others. For more information, please visit 717.church. Hey, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to 717 Church. If we haven't met, uh, my name's Rick, and I have the honor and privilege to serve on the leadership team here as one of the elders. Our pastor is away this weekend um, serving with a local church, uh, preaching to their youth retreat, their winter youth retreat. So he's been serving 150 teenagers this past weekend. So if you think about him, you can pray for his recovery or that this weekend. Uh, but I know he's had a great time, checked in this morning with me. Um, and so you get me this morning, all right? So I want to start off with a question. Um, have you ever gotten an undeserved redo in your life? Anyone? Anybody got an undeserved redo? Yeah, a few people. Um, I'm not talking about like t-ball when you get another at-bat that you didn't deserve. Like that's not what I'm talking about. Something you truly didn't deserve and you got to redo. I had one of these when I was 14 years old. I've had a lot of these, but one that was 14 years old is one of my very first jobs. Um, I worked at Faulkner Oldsmobile BMW Isuzu. So if, if you've been around Lancaster long enough, you remember where that was on Worstown Road, and they don't even make uh, Zuzus and Oldsmobile anymore. So that's how long ago that was. So I was 14, and my, my job was I was the lot attendant. And so that means I did whatever needed to get done around the lot. Uh, pulled weeds and cleaned it. And one of the things that I got to do was to uh, clean up the cars that were ready for a new customer buying a car for delivery. So in the cleanup bay, we would go over there and then we get to pull the car out over to the showroom and the people were in there signing for their new car and excited about coming out. And at 14, I was allowed to drive. I don't know why that was, but um, I was allowed to drive from the wash bay to the showroom and because I got to do that. And so... Um, but I remember specifically, uh, there was a BMW, couldn't have been an Oldsmobile, it was a BMW customer in signing brand new paperwork uh, for their brand new car, and I washed the car up, and as I backed the car out of the wash bay, <coughs> scraped the back of it, brand new car. And I was mortified. I was actually sick to my stomach. And um, so I went in and saw my dad. <laughs> my dad was one of the salesmen there at the time. I'm like, dad, you won't believe this. He said, well, you gotta go talk to your boss. Um, and that mortified me. So I went and talked to my boss, his name was Larry. And I said, you won't believe this, but I just wrecked a new car. Those people there that just got done signing, it's their car, it's all scraped up. And I don't remember all the details of what happened, but I know that grace was shown to me. Um, I think even for the customer, but my boss, I, I got an undeserved redo because I was allowed to come back to work. I did lose my driving privileges, all right? Rightfully so. I don't know why I was allowed to drive in the first place, but I got an undeserved redo. I remember people checking in like, how's your job going? I've been praying for you. Well, you didn't pray hard enough, all right? Um, maybe praying for my humility because that sure worked. But I share that a little bit of my 14-year-old self. I'll share a little bit of my story a little bit later too. But as I was preparing for this, I was thinking of all the different redos that I've had in my life 
And they've been lots, and they've been plenty, and grace abounds. So many undeserved redos. So today we're going to look at Jonah's redo. So hopefully... Um, you received uh, the email this week from our church and you got to check out that video. It's about eight or nine minutes long, kind of the overview of what the book of Jonah is. They're great. If you don't receive the church emails you want to get communicated with, again, check with Shauna afterwards. We'll make sure you're on the list, but it's so great. Um, I love the book of Jonah. It's one of my favorite books. If you look at my Bible, it has all the scribbles and highlights, probably more than any other book, because um, I love this book. And uh, for quick chapters, so I encourage you to read it this week. I also want to encourage you, um, so we're offering on Connect Sunday. So our church, if you're new with us, we gather and we connect. So first and third Sundays we gather, which is what we call this right here, uh, church kind of service as you know it. And on the second and fourth Sundays, uh, we connect. And most of the times that's in homes, but at here at the church building here at Lambs, we offer a Connect class. Currently, we're offering the book of Jonah. Um, and so Pete's Seacrest is teaching that. It's more of an in-depth dive into Jonah more than you'll get here in a 25-30 minutes. And so I want to encourage you, that starts next week. I mean, actually it started last week. So you've only missed one week. There's three more weeks of that. So come here next week, maybe even bring your group here next week, but come and look at the book of Jonah more in depth. So our last gather Sunday, um, we began this series called Major on the Minors. Um, and so we're looking at the minor prophets of the Old Testament, the minor books, and looking at major themes, major principles, major teachings that we can learn from. And our last gather, Pastor Jer shared from Obadiah. And you can go um, hear that on a podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts or check out our website, you can hear that. But one of the things that he said as he began this series is I just want to kind of reiterate it and bring us back to it. He says this, all scripture uh, speaks to who God is. Old Testament, New Testament, minor prophets, major prophets, Pauline epistles, all of it. All of it speaks to who God is, speaks to the need for Jesus, and speaks to his return. And through scripture, we are given a hope that we can turn back to him. Uh, we can give a hope that we to be restored and a hope to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And today we're going to see that in the story of Jonah. Um, so Jonah in chapter one, Jonah uh, was a prophet. He was given a call to go to Nineveh. And we see that um, he ran away from God's call. He actually fl fled to Tarshish, which is the direct opposite way of Nineveh. As far as away from Nineveh as you could go, he went there. He was headed to Tarshish. Um, and then God in his kindness um, brings him back. He even preserves his life. So he's on this ship and there was a storm and the sailors there, the, the shipmen, they knew and understood that because of Jonah's disobedience, he was the cause of all this disruption. So they threw him overboard into the sea to his death and through, again, God's kindness, he actually saves him through a fish. Um, and then we get to chapter two. That's where his turnaround happened. Jonah's sitting in the belly of this fish alive. And um, he prays, he cries out to God. And in prayer, he says, God, I'll go your way. And we get to pick up in Jonah chapter three today and learn about Jonah's redo. So as we begin to unpack here, I want us to begin by reading together 
Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to have it on the screen here, all right, for you to follow along. It's one short verse. Oftentimes, we have someone up here reading and opening our scripture of the passage we're diving into. Um, it's one short verse, so I thought we could all read this together. It's my absolute favorite verse in all the Bible. Um, our dear friends, Robin and Jody, they got me a placard that says this verse. It's in our living room, and it's my favorite verse. And here's what it says. So we're going to read this all together, okay? Let's read it together. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. All right, one more time, because it's short. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. I've written in my scribble Bible there. These are the greatest words in all this book. We serve a God who doesn't give up on us after we screw up. A second time. And so in Jonah chapter 3, we're going we're gonna to learn from Jonah, we're going to learn from Nineveh, and we're going to learn from God. And before we jump in the text, I want to do this. I want to just acknowledge the fact um, that sometimes unintentionally, sometimes we don't realize, we go around and we disqualify people from redos. Or we disqualify ourselves, like, you have no idea about my past, um, I don't really deserve that, all the bad stuff that I've done, insert whatever it is. We're like, I can't be used by God for this reason and fill in the blank. And we hear those lies from the enemy, our past, our deficiencies, how we're not used by God, and we disqualify ourselves from redos. And then we go around our, day, our days too, and we disqualify others. Uh, we say things like, God will never be able to reach them. You have no idea they are addicted. They are too much of a gossip. They are, they are, and you have no idea. And we disqualify not just ourselves, but others, allowing God to do a redo. And that is what we think. That's a very, very high view of man about us. It's a very, very small view of God. And what I love about this text today is God is going to show us just how powerful he is that God can use anyone. He can change and save anyone. In fact, that's his heart. And so let's look at Jonah chapter three, um, go through some of the verses here. Verse one, we read it together. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God in his kindness, he recommissioned Jonah. He gives him a redo. This is the epic undeserved redo. All right. And notice what God didn't say. He didn't say, Jonah, you disobeyed me. And so, um, I am not going to use you. You are now disqualified because of your disobedience. Um, I'm never going to even speak to you again. He didn't say that. What God does is what he is so good at doing. He offers them a redo. Um, verse 2 and 3, we see that Nineveh was both great in size and in population. It probably at the time was the largest city in the world. It had about 120,000 people. Um, it took about three days to walk the whole area, probably all the suburbs and all of Nineveh. It was both great in size. Some of the footnotes in your Bibles may even say that it was great to God. Um, Nineveh was this great place. Nineveh was brutally evil. All right, and it's interesting that Nineveh was great to God. Verse four, we see the message that Jonah gives. It's short, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. It's likely just kind of a summary of the message there, um, but shows that Jonah was probably even reluctant to give the message to Nineveh. Uh, we see this word overturned, overthrown. Yet 40 days, the Ninevites will be overthrown. This word overthrown is actually the same word used where it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, where God destroyed that city. 
Verse 5, we see that God uses a runaway prophet who disobeyed God to reach the people of Nineveh. Verse 5 says, and the people of Nineveh believed. It brings us to the first point of our learning today, and that is this. God can use anyone. We have a God of second chances, and sometimes and oftentimes third and fourth and many, many more, right? And it's not meant to take advantage of, but God is showing us even in all of our mistakes, even in all of our past, all the ways we've disobeyed God, run from God, God can use anyone. Our past does not disqualify us. Something interesting too, as I've studied Jonah, is how he, when he reached the Ninevites, it is likely that he would have been bleached from being in the stomach of the whale for those three days. He spent three days in there. So from the acids and what have you, before he got thrown up out of the whale. Um, so Nineveh giving this message would have been heard and they would have been also like, you look like a freak, Jonah. Like you are, something is wrong with you. Something is making you look ghost-like. And it's possible that he probably uh, would have been losing his hair or it would have been at least thinning or patching began because of all the acids. And I find great comfort in that, um, this because God can use a pasty white guy that has thinning, losing hair to proclaim the gospel to anyone that needs it. And as my hair gets more thin, the older I get, that's very, that's, I love that part, all right? Very comforting to me. And I say that, but listen, Jonah had his mess on him. He was, you could see his past because he's this bleached white guy, right? And he spent all the time in the fish and were, the people were very quick to listen to whatever he had to say from God. And can you see this yet? God can use a runaway prophet who was disobedient, swallowed by a fish, then spit out. God can use anyone. Our past does not disqualify us. That's a little bit of my story too. I think that's why I resonate and I love this book of Jonah so much. So just to share a little bit about me, a little bit of my story, my journey, my faith journey. So I was um, uh, raised here in Lancaster. Um, this is home and I spent um, all the time we could in church. So we were always at church. Sunday morning at that time growing up, we had Sunday night church. Um, we also had Monday night calling and Tuesday night was probably something. Wednesday night prayer meeting, Friday night youth. Like we were always in church. Um, and our church started a small Christian school. And so I literally was in the building every day of the week. Um, so I went to grade school, middle school, high school of a small Christian school. I grew up um, as a good kid. I really didn't get into trouble. Um, I, I didn't kind of hang out with the crowd that, and I didn't have the crowd to hang out with because we were kind of in this little bit of a bubble, if you will. Um, but I was a good kid and really didn't get in trouble. I graduated high school and I went to Bible college. I was pursuing ministry on my life. And so I went to a Bible college out in Minnesota and uh, was a great first year of freshman year of college. I loved it out there because I love the friends and connections I made. Um, I only went out there one year and actually to this day, what are we, 30 some years later, I still have, there's a group of five of us, so four other guys that we talk every single week, um, once or twice a week of those, that connections I made from those friends. So um, great first year of Bible college. I came back um, for my freshman year and that summer, 
I was deciding what I'm going to do for work. Am I going to deliver pizzas or work in the mall or whatever a college kid does? And my dad was the general manager of a car dealership. And so I was hanging out there with my dad and I started helping customers and just helping overflow. And so I began doing that and I enjoyed it. And so I ended up getting my sales license. I started selling cars and I moved myself into management. And at a young age of 19, got a very good, fun paycheck. I'm like, shoot, if I can sell cars and make a very good paycheck, I don't need college. And so I decided not to go back to college. I did that for about a year and a half um, until again, there's this stirring and this wanting of pursuing God's call and pursuing ministry in my, my life. And so I decided to go back to college, not the same school. My uncle lived in California and he said, why don't you come out to California? We live five minutes away from this Bible college campus. You can drive our spare car, um, which was a convertible and you can live in our spare bedroom and we're 30 minutes from Hollywood. I'll give you a job in my office. He was a small business owner and I'm just going to ask that you clean the pool and jacuzzi in the backyard during your keep. But that's a good deal. I'm out. I'm in California now. So I went to California to Bible College. And it was there that I met a girl um, who was from Colorado. And so I, did, I went to one year there. And I ended up not finishing school once again because I pursued the girl instead of school. So I moved to Colorado. Um, and I got back into the car business, which I knew and knew well. And I was in, again, my young 20s, um, mid-20s, and um, I started selling cars and got into management. I kind of started climbing that corporate ladder uh, within that company and doing very, very well. Um, we built a new home and had great cars. We had two kids after we were married, and um, things were really good. We were like missing the white picket fence, and we were the all-American couple that everybody wanted to be as a young 20-some-year-old couple, right? And things were good. We were teaching um, actually young marrieds um, Sunday school class in our church that we were part of. And uh, life was good. Well, about year four in our marriage, things fell apart. And so uh, five years uh, being married, we ended up in a divorce. Not something I wanted, not something that I desired. Because of that, I turned extremely bitter and angry towards God towards the church. I reached out to the church that we were part of for help, and I felt like they weren't helping. Uh, they kind of didn't, but I was just angry. I was bitter. Um, and so at that time, I literally did my Jonah, and I turned and I ran as far away from everything that I knew, church, God, community, that was healthy and right to be a part of. I did the opposite. And so I started hanging out with uh, the fellas after work and hanging out with the fellows was going to the bars and the clubs and the stuff that I never experienced in my life until at that point. Because again, growing up in here, I was a pretty good kid, but I was uh, living a life then of um, being bitter, but also just living a life of disdain towards all things God and trying to do everything I could to do everything against God. And I did. So um, if you can imagine watching kind of an HBO movie or a rated R movie, that was my life at the time. It was actually pretty crazy. Um, I'd have about a $1,000 bar tab every weekend because I was the fun boss that bought for everybody. Um, it was living a crazy, 
nuts lifestyle that I'd hang out with the lifestyle of the rich and famous, if you will, the Denver Broncos, um, which was my favorite team. So I got to hang out with some of those celebrity athlete players and the Colorado Avalanche hung out with Kid Rock. We partied with Kid Rock. Like my life was absolutely insane, crazy. You're like, there's no way. It, it was, if you knew me then, uh, that's what I was. And so it was pretty nuts. Um, I met a girl during that time after I bought my Porsche and I bought a big house on the Ptarmigan Country Club, several thousand square feet house just for me. Um, Ginger now says, I'm so thankful you went through your midlife crisis in your 20s and not in your midlife where we're at now. Um, but yeah, I was going pretty crazy. I did. I met a girl and after seven weeks um, of dating, a quick date, I moved in with her. And after seven months, we were getting married. Um, so after my divorce, I was with another girl, I was getting married again. There was, um, during this time, God was doing some incredible God moments, if you will. Some stirring, some things, some people, some circumstances. My parents were amazing. They prayed for me. They didn't preach to me. And for that reason, um, I probably didn't go further that way. But they just were gracious as mom and dad could be. Um, there was a time where my sister reached out to me and said, we played this song in our church today. I don't want you to do anything. I don't have a message for you, but I just want you to listen to this song. It meant so much to me, and I thought of you, and I played it. After a uh, hangover, I woke up on a Sunday afternoon, too, played this song, and cried like a baby. So there was like these moments. There was a moment my friend who was my used car manager, gave his life to Christ and invited me out to his church and says, I know that you used to be this church guy. Why don't you come to church with me? I said, I'm not the church guy anymore. That's not me. And so I refused. And eventually I went to church with him and sat in the back and cried like a baby because I belonged where I was and not where I had been. Um, so many God moments. There was a moment in a club that I was at with all the fellows and hanging around and I'd go into this club and I would say to these guys, I want to sit in this seat that we're all sitting there and they'd be like, oh, we're sitting here and they want to start scuffling. And I'm like, that's my seat and I need you to move now. Like I was a real jerk. I really was. And I just would go like this and six guys would come around and they'd say, our boss really wants to sit there. You need to move. And they'd peel off a couple hundred dollar bills and they'd leave. And so I was that kind of person then, but I was in that club and there was a God moment there that happened to me. And I'm like, Rick, what is, what have you done with your life? How did you get this far? And so all that happened. And one night after driving home from work, um, I lived in Fort Collins, Colorado. I went up to Horse Tooth Reservoir, if anybody's been out there. And I just did business with God that night. Um, I drove got out of my car. I can remember pounding the, my fist on the hood and had my uh, belly in a fish moment with God. Screamed, hollered, cussed, sweared. I had it out with him. And you know, God can take all that too, by the way. But I had it out with God and I surrendered my life back to him. I said, I don't know how I got here. And um, surrendering was hard for me because I like to be in charge of Rick and wanted no one else to be in charge of Rick, but just surrender my life back to God. And so I went home that night and told my then fiance, I said, um, 
I'm going to move out like now, tonight. Um, we're not getting married. We were 10 days away from our wedding. Everything was bought, paid for. People were flying in. And uh, so we're not getting married. I just gave my life back to God. You won't understand that. You won't get that. Um, but I need to move. And um, so I packed literally a duffel bag and I moved out that night. And um, went to my boss. Again, my very, very good job. And said, I need to move back home. And I need to give you about a four or five, six week notice, whatever you need. But I'm moving back to Pennsylvania. So I called my dad. And I uh, said, Dad, I want to move home. Is that okay? And of course, they've been praying for that for years. So I literally was the prodigal son that moved home with my dad and mom in their spare bedroom at 28 years old, um, just to give God whatever he would do with my life. And of course, that was in 2001. So about whatever that is, 23 years ago now. And um, a year later, we Ginger and I met. Uh, we started dating. We got married. She also came from a broken marriage. And so uh, we had a lot in common. She had two kids. I had two kids. So we became the instant Brady Bunch. Our kids were three, four, five, and six when we got married. It was pretty nuts and crazy, but we are here, survived now, empty nesters, all adult kids that are amazing. And so, um, but God has been so good and blessed. I finished Bible college eventually. I was able to uh, serve in church and ministry for about 10 years. Um, that ended about two years ago, and I still get to serve in church and ministry with the 717 startup and what we're doing here. And I'm just so thankful for where I was to where I am because God is good and God is faithful and he does reduce and he doesn't disqualify us. And that's all of our stories. That's just a snippet. Honestly, Ginger's probably saying, how did you get through that whole thing that fast? Because typically I sit down and I give kind of the PG-13, even some rated R version of that. And so if you want to hear all the details of our story, uh, come check us out. We love coffee, love dinner, and we'll have, we'll have you over and you can hear all of the story of ourselves. But um, we would love to do that. But that's all of our stories. We are all fallen. We all come short of God's glory in one way or another. We all have a mess that God has forgiven and does not disqualify us. Um, if you have heard me and my story and know me, you've probably heard me say, God takes our mess and he makes it our message. And he does. And so again, Jonah's mess was on him. My mess was very obvious, but he takes what we were and makes a message out of it. In fact, oftentimes he'll take our mess and make it our ministry. Because of broken marriages, Healthy marriages are so vitally important to Ginger and I. We have the opportunity of doing pre-marriage counseling and um, even crises counseling of people and sharing hope because of our story, what God's done. And so marriages are important. So he takes what our mess and he makes it our, not just our message, but our ministry. And he'll do that too. If you look for opportunities and yet so oftentimes though, we walk around disqualifying ourselves and that friend is, again, a low view of God. Let God be God because God can use anyone. No matter your past, you're not disqualified. So go and tell. Share your story because God can use anyone. So here, let's jump back to verse 5 now. Verse 5 says this, The Ninevites believed God. Side note, this isn't even in my notes. Like that little four words right there is probably the biggest 
miracle in all of this book. We often think the miracle is the fish swallowed Jonah, which is a miracle. But this is the biggest miracle in all the book. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning uh, reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, he sat down in the dust, and this is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. I think that's humorous, actually. I think there's humor in all the Bible that he punishes animals by putting clothes on them. Anyway, let everyone call urgently to God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with his compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will then not perish. And this is what happened in Nineveh. Ninevites believed God. Notice they didn't believe Jonah. They believe God. I think that's an interesting observation. Again, God uses a disobedient prophet to bring revival to this evil city. And the king calls for fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And this was used for mourning. They were mourning their sin. They were mourning their evil. They were mourning their violence as the king chose us. They knew they were evil and so they were changing. They were turning. They were repenting quickly and revival breaks out all across Nineveh. Verse six, the king hears the warning and believes and humbles himself and commands everyone in Nineveh to repent. And so Nineveh, despite being brilliantly brutal in their violence, they turn to the Lord. And this is the second point that I want you to get. God can change anyone. God can save anyone. I think, again, so often we look around and say, man, there is no hope for them. My coworker, oh, the stories they've told me, there is no absolute way. There's no hope for that family member. I know it. My neighbor, no one sees it, but I see what happens in and out of their house. Like there is no way. And well, we buy into these lies, the fact that God can change anyone. In fact, God can change anyone and lead revival to a city. And I think that I want to see something else in this passage from Nineveh. Here's this. Nineveh had real repentance. Real repentance that led to real change. Nineveh had real repentance. They were broken because of their sin, and it leads to real change. I think often we forget real repentance looks like making real change in our lives. See, we see this in cultural Christianity, right? Cultural Christianity. Even here in our conservative, moral right, uh, Bible Belt area of Lancaster County, we see this like, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, besides even gather Sundays, I'm in a connect group. I'm good. Like, I believe the Bible, I pray every once in a while, but nothing in our lives looks like change. We say all these things about Jesus and intellectually, yes, we believe, but the belief doesn't have any life change. And something we can learn from the Ninevites, listen, real belief comes with real repentance that leads to real change. And the Ninevites, they have this godly sorrow that leads to real change. Second Corinthians and the New Testament 7, 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow just brings death. Real repentance leads to change. Our beliefs must have action. So, so far we've seen God can use anyone. God can change anyone. And then we look at verse 10 for our last point. 
When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So if you're like me, when I read this, it first begs the question, did God change his mind? (laughs) Is that allowed? Is that even okay? Did God lie when he said he's going to overturn the Ninevites and they didn't? Well, the next chapter, peeking ahead, chapter four, verse two, we see God's wrath was a warning that if they didn't repent, he was warning them. And in fact, God overturning Nineveh was conditional. Nineveh wouldn't need to be overturned if Nineveh turned, which Nineveh did. And so God, being good and kind, he relented. It'd be like, remember when you were a kid and mom and dad said, I need you to clean up your room before noon or you're grounded, right? I would have just heard the word grounded by noon. Like, what do I need to do? Oh, my room, take responsibility, clean it up, and I'm not grounded. The same way Nineveh didn't need to be punished because Nineveh turns and responds to the warning that God gives them through Jonah. So we don't get to worry about God here. We get to trust and even see that he still is good. The ultimate desire right here, verse 10, is the third point in the passage. That is this, God has a heart for everyone. God has a heart for lost people. Second Peter, we just studied that book last year. Second Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's heart is for lost people. God's heart is for people that are far from him. God's heart is for Nineveh. It's interesting to see the difference between Jonah's heart in chapters one and two. He's running away from Nineveh. He doesn't want to see, he, like he did everything he could not to see them get the message that God had and not to repent. Just for context too, Nineveh being a Hebrew young guy, this prophet, these were brutally evil people. And if you dig into some of their brutality, there was a time where Nineveh oversaw, overtook an, an Israelite city and they would have like skinned the people. They were like literally brutal people. And Jonah wanted nothing except for them to receive the wrath of God. And he knew that if he would go to Nineveh, God was so going to do what God does and he would show kindness and offer a chance to repent. And so God's heart is for that, to show kindness and offer repentance. God's heart is for everyone. And we do the same, same as Jonah Again, those friends that maybe have wronged you the way uh, I went with, they are supposed to get. Like, they don't deserve anything but what they get, right? But no, God's heart is for everyone. And so that would be my challenge to you too as we close and wrap up is, who is your Nineveh? Who is it in your life, in your neighborhood, in your team, in your class, and your coworkers, who is your Nineveh that God wants to reach and his way of reaching them is you? Because God's heart is for everyone. God's heart is for everyone. And we need to have the same heart of God and that's one for the lost. There are people that are broken everywhere. Again, even in our good and moral right, Lancaster County, good, moral, right, people still need a savior that can point them and give them and offer them heaven. That's the gospel. So God is, can use anyone. God can change anyone. 
And God's heart is for everyone. Again, my story is one of resonates with Jonah. He was on the run and God gave me to redo. I'm thankful for the redo that God gave me in my life. I'm thankful for the redo that God gave Jonah because we have this great story that we see. And oftentimes we hear this story and we think, ah, it got swallowed by a big fish. It's like a fairy tale. This is like a real story in a real Bible that was inspired and written every word by God for us to learn from, right? God can use anyone. God can change anyone. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't disqualify who you think can't be changed because they can. And God's heart is for everyone. Would you guys close in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your grace. We are thankful for the many undeserved redos that we have many, many times in our life, but God, the ones that are even here in our church that have had redos, we know their stories, you know everybody's story, and the ones that have a redo and now being used by you to share your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your grace, because they just live it out. And God, may everyone here experience your absolute amazing grace, not just the words that we sing in a song, but when we truly understand grace, it really is amazing. And so thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you, God, for um, using us, for changing us, for saving us. And God, may you too give us a heart like yours that we might be able to see the Ninevehs around us, that we might be able to see those people that are lost, that just need a picture and a glimpse of who you are. And may we in our lives uh, sh just exude our story to share who you are, Jesus. May opportunities come to us even this week where you're shown off really, really well. People get to see you because they interacted with us. That's our prayer this week, that as we are not just the church here, we are the church out there. So may we be the church well to where you're shown off Jesus. And we want to do that all for your glory. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of this community. We hope that today's message helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and live out what His Word is calling you to. Hit the subscribe button below to follow us, share with a friend, or leave a review. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at 717.church.